Welcome to the Chalkboard, my fellow football nerds, for episode number 138 of Chalk Talk. I'm your host, Shane Half, and you can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at ShaneHalfNFL. I'm joined today by the best co-host in the game. You've heard him on the Tough Cover Radio Show. It is Mark Henry Jr. Give him a follow on Twitter at MarkHenryJr. Underscore. Mark, how are you doing today? Uh, better than I was last night. Uh, I've gotten over this one relatively quickly in terms of the Eagles playoff loss that we will get into. Uh, but, you know, it's never it's never a bad time to take a whirl on the head coaching carousel. So that's what we're going to be doing at, at this sh- on this show, Eagles and non-Eagles. And that's always something, as you know, that I, I love talking about. So I'm excited at least to escape some of the – I mean, we're, we'll talk about it. We'll get into it. 32 to nine, not fun, but uh, <laughs> I'm excited to escape that a little bit and talk about head coach candidates. Cause I've been in the lab looking at it with Wikipedia's where do people go to college? Where I'm, I'm, I'm like, I don't, you're not an always sunny guy, Shane. I think I've asked you before, um, but I am the gif with Charlie Kelly by the chalkboard uh, pointing at all the different. All I know the, the gif. Options. Well, yeah, yeah. It's a great gift. Uh, yeah. So we're going to, we're going to, this is a different sort of show a little bit into the playoffs here. So we're going to recap the six playoff games from Super Wild Card Weekend. Uh, we're going to take a brief break to talk coaching carousel, and then we're going to preview the four games that are coming up this weekend. So uh, first time we've done a preview show in like a season and a half back at our origins, Chalk Talk was a twice a week show and uh, man, scheduling that became difficult. So the previews sort of fell off, but uh, now with the shorter show or less games to talk about, we're going to try to do previews for these playoff games. So we're going to hop in. We're going to take these games in order. So we'll start with the early game on Saturday. And that was the Houston Texans just blowing out the Cincinnati or excuse me, the Cleveland Browns 45 to 14 uh, CJ Stroud was sensational against a Browns defense that was one of the best in the league. They struggled a bit down the stretch. Their home away splits are definitely a thing, but still a good defense. CJ Stroud went 16 to 21 for 274 yards and three touchdowns. He had a near perfect passer rating, 157.2. 158.3 is perfect, of course. Uh, He probably could have had more, but Two third quarter pick sixes blew this game wide open. It really was a good game until that meltdown, uh, and that sort of kept him off the field. I thought Joe Flacco played well early. Uh, he had Cleveland on top, fourteen to ten, but things really spiraled out of control after that first pick six, and the wheels just came off for the Browns. Uh, Will Anderson generated seven pressures and a sack. Derek Barnett had six pressures and a sack. Christian Always Harris. Him. Had a pick six in a sack. Derek Stingley, a guy that was much maligned last year's rookie. Uh, he played well this year. I think that flew under the radar, but he followed Amari Cooper on 71% of his routes in this game and allowed zero catches and an average separation of only seven tenths of a yard per next gen stats. Uh, on the Browns side, there really wasn't much good for the Browns defense, especially Miles Garrett, who had only two pressures. Uh, Miles Garrett ended the year with only one sack in his final seven games. And there were some injury things at play there, but uh, really disappointing performance from him. Jeremiah Usukoromoa did stand out, though. If you've been a longtime listener of the show, you know that that was a huge my guy for both Mark and I a couple years ago in the draft. 
He had nine tackles, four tackles for loss, three pressures in this game. He is a budding superstar. Um, and so now the Texans, who have never won two playoff games in the same season, will get a chance to do that next week at Baltimore. And we'll preview that game in a minute. But Mark, what were your thoughts on that Texans-Browns game? Before I get to the Texans, because you know that's the we're going to preview that game, and you, you, it's easy to talk about the Texans, but the Browns. I I don't think I realized this when we recorded Chalk Talk last week. I, I was in the lab last week for some some wild card weekend bets, and I, I was really crunching some numbers, looking at some data, and I quickly realized that. The Browns' little Joe Flacco run that the entire world was going nuts about was kind of a fluke. I mean, it, it was kind of a, a Joe Fluco situation. You look at who they played and you look at who they beat. They lost to the Rams in their first game. They beat the Texans without C.J. Stroud. They beat the Jags in a game that they injured Trevor Lawrence and he was injured coming into the game. They beat the Bears and they beat the Jets with Trevor Simeon. So they didn't beat a good team the entire time that they had Joe Flacco. They lost to the only good team they played in the Rams. Joe Flacco had eight picks in five games. He had six picks in his last three games going into the playoffs. Everyone should have known, in my opinion, that Joe Flacco was going to turn into a pumpkin immediately upon the time anyone got pressure on him. And Houston was able to do that. And that's what I said all week. I talked myself more and more into the Texans and into D'Amico Ryans being able to cook up some pressure. And it's what they did. Will Anderson justified a trade that me and you were not, you know, especially keen on the, the draft value of giving up a lot of future assets for a non-quarterback. But if you're the Houston Texans, you're not worried about that right now because you have a building block in Will Anderson on that side of the ball that gets pressure almost every game. And Joe Flacco is just – it's one of the – I think people will look back on this and talk like, oh, my God, remember how good Flacco was for the Browns? And it reminds me of Ryan Fitzpatrick because Ryan Fitzpatrick had a couple of those stretches where everyone went nuts and everyone lost their mind. But if you actually looked into them, they weren't as crazy as people thought. He was just throwing the ball 50 times a game. And that's kind of what was happening with Joe Flacco too. And there seemed to be like a narrative throughout – the week leading up to the wild card games where it's like, wait, actually interceptions are good. And Josh Allen and Joe Flacco taking these chances is good for an offense. And I understand that. Like I understand the concept of a quarterback, not taking chances being bad for an offense. And it's different with Josh Allen and with Joe Flacco. And I always, I think it was very clear that the turnover bug was going to come back to bite Cleveland. Now, did I think it was going to come back to bite them in a way that they were going to get absolutely blown out? No, but I think them being favored on the road against the Texans was disrespectful to C.J. Stroud because when you have a quarterback playing the way C.J. Stroud is playing, you have a chance against anybody, and that's a little that's a little tease for the divisional round preview. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you guys are watching live, be sure you drop comments over here. Uh, tell us what you thought about these games. We love to interact with you guys on the show, uh, and we'll move on here to the other game. Uh, that was on Saturday night. It was the Miami Dolphins at the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs win this game 26 to 7. And <clears throat> weather played some part in this game. It was super cold, windy, whatever. Uh, but the Chiefs defense dominated the Dolphins offense. Through the first three quarters, they allowed only 151 yards. 
six first downs and they held Miami to zero of seven on third downs. 53 of those 151 yards and the Dolphins only points came on a deep ball to Tyree kill that was so badly underthrown. It didn't even get interfered with like that's how badly underthrown it was. Um, and you thought you might be able to get a game at that point, but it just didn't happen. Spags did a great job taking away the in-breaking routes the Dolphins' offense loves to use. They made Tua hold the ball. They made him second-guess himself. He was constantly under pressure. He was pressured 16 times in this game. And the run game just never got going. They had a long run of eight yards. They had three yards per carry. Really, that one explosive play to Tyreek Hill was it. And then the Dolphins' defense, they tried to pressure Mahomes to cover up their injuries, and they were very banged up on defense. And it did work to a degree. It slowed Mahomes down. His passer rating versus the Blitz was 71 versus 101 when not blitzed. But it just wasn't enough. And the biggest thing for the Chiefs moving forward is that Rasheed Rice had a really good game. Eight receptions, 130 yards, and a touchdown. If he can be relied on down the stretch, that really helps out. Uh, the biggest issue with this Chiefs offense. Now, the other big issue is red zone struggles. Those continued. The Chiefs were only two of six in the red zone. Uh, and that's really why this game, the score, it wasn't as close as the score indicated because Miami was able to hold the Chiefs out of the end zone. I think you know my my general stance on red zone troubles in general. I think that it's something that we kind of talk too much about because I think game to game it is something that's just an unpredictable, unpredictable variable. Now for Kansas city, it's a little different because it is something that they've struggled with over a longer sample size. Um, but in the long term, I, I think that the fact that they were able to move the ball so consistently in such a nightmare weather situation, I actually think people are walking out of this game a little too negatively about the offense. And I understand they took a lot of field goals. I understand they were conservative in the red zone, but I, I also think game script a little bit dictated that. I think maybe if Miami was pushing them a little bit more, maybe if they scored a little bit more, you have to imagine maybe Kansas City's a little bit more aggressive in some of those situations. Um, but I feel like they knew that their defense was going to be able to handle the job, and they knew that they could kind of be conservative and not mess up the game offensively. But for the most part, I, I did think that they moved the ball really well. Um, and, and this just this was the kind of game that I remember early on in the year um, before the Chiefs' offensive struggles really became evident and really became a problem in, in some games, the Denver game comes to mind. Uh, there was a couple games in there where the Kansas City offense just it was not the same offense. But early in the year, I think we kind of both agreed this Chiefs team having like a top five defense, Mahomes will figure the rest out. Like maybe they're not going to have a great offense. Maybe it won't be elite. Maybe they'll leave some on the table. But if you give Mahomes an elite defense he's going to get the job done and when I say get the job done I might mean win a Super Bowl I mean that's we're, we're staring at that down now I will say Kansas City just about the most brutal path you could like possibly imagine a couple of weeks ago um, obviously you get Miami in a good situation for you um you get them in Kansas City, you get them in the freezing cold. But Miami's probably a way better team than anyone you were imagining playing as the sixth seed. And then you go on, now you have to go to Buffalo. If you win that, you probably have to go to Baltimore. If you win that, you probably have to play San Francisco. That's probably like maybe the best like four teams I can remember a team having to play to get to a Super Bowl. But if anyone's going to do it, 
it's Patrick Mahomes with this defense playing the way that they, they played in this game. Yeah, I'm really interested. Spoiler alert. That's the game of the week that I'm interested yeah. in next week. Chiefs bills, but I'm sure that's the same for almost everybody. I have no idea. I mean, we're going to talk about the preview. Don't bet on that game. Like yeah. I, that's my take. Like I, I think it's just, I don't. And, and even like, like a couple of years ago with these teams or a year ago with these teams, maybe I would have said, bet the over like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. The last two times these teams have played, it's went under and, you know, this year was pretty low scoring. The Chiefs defense, obviously, we just talked about it playing really well. Um, I just don't think there's like any value on, on that game. But yeah, it's the game of the year. Um, I, I feel like this is, you know, I I have a lot. I weirdly have a lot of Ravens followers on Twitter. I guess it's just like a Northeast thing. But and I will say this. I think Ravens fans are like the nicest fan base I've ever dealt with on Twitter. They're always very like, even if you say something like I I was tweeting about how I think chiefs bills is the AFC championship. And I know that's crazy to say, and I know people are, you know, crowning Baltimore already, but we, I said this last week on the pod, but every time we crown two teams and say those two one seeds are going to the super bowl, it feels like it doesn't happen. And I am very confident San Fran's getting there. So almost by default, I'm, I'm saying that I think chiefs bills will decide who wins the AFC, but the Ravens fans, when I say that, they're like, oh, you really don't think we can win? And I'm like, I- I'm worried about the weapons, you know, in a big game, in a big situation against the Chiefs or Bills in a shootout. And they're like, man, I hope you're wrong, but you were right about the Orioles talking baseball. So I, I respect your opinion. And I'm always like, geez, tell me to tell me to screw myself. Like, <laughs> be mean to me. I'm being mean to your team. I'm going to have to get more engaged with Ravens Twitter, apparently. I- I feel like they're very nice. I, I don't yeah. know. This is a. This is probably from like really realistically. Like f- I'm. I'm basing this on like five to ten interactions with different people uh, on Twitter. Um, but it does feel like I have like a lot of like Ravens one two three like accounts that like reply to some stuff that I put out there. So, um, I, and by the way, me saying that, I would much rather just from like a fan standpoint. You know how I feel about Lamar Jackson. I would much rather see the Ravens win the Super Bowl than anyone left in the entire NFL. But just in terms of what I think is going to happen, I think the winner of Chiefs Bills is going to lose to the 49ers in the Super Bowl. Yeah. All right. Well, let's I just kind of blew my preview there a little bit, but oh. <clears throat> you did a little bit, but we'll bring it back. We'll let the people <laughs> forget. We'll talk some coaching candidates and then we'll come back to it. So. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's get into the Sunday game. So obviously the Wait, time out. Time out. Actually, I'm sorry. We just I we bypassed the conversation that I think we have to have. And I don't want to have it. So my fellow members of Tuanon, I'm sorry that I brought this up on the podcast. We could have we could have escaped. I'm sorry to Tuanon. I'll be at the meeting next Tuesday. But I think we have to have a conversation about the path forward for the Dolphins. And what do you do? Like, yeah, you're I mean, you're picking 21st. So it's going to be hard to go get a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um Two is on his fifth year option next season. Um, the Dol- the Dolphins have the second worst cap space right now. Uh, they're it's only better than the Saints, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're a projected forty one point nine million over the cap. They have six guys uh, set to count for over twenty million against their cap next year. It's Tyree Kill, Jalen Ramsey, Bradley Chubb, Xavier Howard, Tua, and uh, who's the last one? Uh, Armstead. 
Okay. So, so, and none of those guys are really like guys you can move off of the way the contracts are structured. Uh, I've got the Dolphins in a mock draft podcast I'm doing for BGN. So I've already prepped this a little bit. None of those guys are ones you can really move off of at this point. <clears throat> it would be great if you felt confident into it and you could extend him to rework his cap hit. You can't. Um, you just can't. Uh, he's going to be on your roster next year but I don't think he can be your quarterback moving forward. Like if, if Mike McDaniel can't carry your quarterback to where you need to get, then your quarterback is just not a, he's not a guy that can win a Super Bowl in the NFL. In my opinion, I think the dolphins are too predicated on speed and finesse and manufacturing things for their quarterback. I think Mike McDaniel has done everything he can to build the system that is perfectly tailored to to his skill set and it just falls short it, it just doesn't work like he needs mike mcdaniel's where kyle shanahan was he needs his yeah. brock purdy he, he needs to have a guy that he can program to run his scheme the way that he wants it to go and i just think tua has too many physical limitations in terms of athleticism and arm talent so i i think you know ideally it, ideally there's a guy that they like in the draft that falls within range and they can go get him and he doesn't have to start right away. Cause you still have to, um, but that's hard because they've got some major needs on the offensive line as well. Yeah. You compared it to Shanahan. I actually think it's where McVeigh was um, w- with Jared Goff. It, it feels like that is the, that's where you're at. And they, the Rams were in a similar, similar spot where they didn't really have cap either. Like they couldn't really just go sign a free agent. And I think the perfect situation here for Miami is if they could go get Kirk Cousins and sign Kirk Cousins and trade to a problem with that is you just laid it out with the cap. It's just not possible. Maybe um, they should trade for Stafford. Yeah. Well, I, that's, I was thinking about that actually. Like, and, and the Rams now are probably young enough that they feel like, they are not entering a rebuilding period. Like you just made the playoffs. Like you're probably going to retool and I'm sure they probably are in a better cap spot next year, the Rams. Um, so you have to imagine that maybe they go out and spend a little bit on the defense. Cause that's really where that needs it. But um, yeah, that I, I just turned it into a Rams thing. Um, but <laughs> but uh, the, yeah, it, it's, it's a weird situation for Miami. I don't think you can do a rookie like, I think that's just going to bring the same exact problems. Like most likely the rookies upside is not going to be higher than Tua's. Um, I, you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. It also reminds me a little bit of where Dallas was last year. I remember when we were doing the, the recap, when Dallas lost in the playoffs, we were looking at the team and it's like, what do you, what do you improve? Like if you're not training the quarterback, if you're not changing the head coach, like what gets better and Dallas I guess was a little better this year they probably were about the same honestly they just won the division because the Eagles free fall but I think Miami's probably going to do the same thing like I think you probably run it back I think you probably win like 11 games again and we see if it works in the playoffs next year the one thing I'll say is I do feel like people are assigning last year's playoff failure onto a he was hurt he was hurt for that game he didn't play that game. I will say Skylar Thompson played better in that game than Tua played against Kansas City. But I 
do think it's a little unfair to Tua that it's like, all right, we're done with him, throw him in the trash. He's still an above average quarterback, right? In in, in general, like it's probably 14th, 13th, maybe if maybe 10th, 11th. But um, yeah, I mean, you're kind of in quarterback purgatory if you're the Miami Dolphins. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the worst place to be. They do have a lot of cap space. They've got like 47 million in projected cap space. So wait, the Dolphins do? Oh no, sorry. That was a uh, shoot. Who are you asking about? The Rams. The Rams. The Rams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. The, Dol- yeah, yeah. the Dolphins are like negative forty. Yeah, yeah. I uh, got I got confused. I was like, oh, okay. my brain was on. Yeah, I was just jumping back to the Rams because you'd mentioned them. But no, that was my fault. Yeah, but yeah, that's that. It's going to be interesting to see what Miami does. They, I think it's probably nothing. I I don't think that there is a move to make. Yeah. All right. Well, let's roll on to Sunday. Uh, end of the Sunday games where the Dallas Cowboys became the first ever two seed to lose to a seven seed. Uh, and it was not as close as the scoreboard indicates green Bay wins 48 to 32. This was Jordan loves coming out party. Like this is what I was pulling for when I, when I said in our off season NFC North podcast preview that the giant or excuse me, that the Packers were going to win the NFC North. Like, I thought you were going to get good play out of Jordan Love, and it struggled out of the gate. But since week 12, Jordan Love is second in EPA per play and third in success rate among all quarterbacks. I think people look at this game nationally and they say, wow, that was a great performance. Love has been playing like this. Uh, He threw for 272 yards, three touchdowns. He was in full command of the Packers offense. Uh, He extended plays. He made fadeaway throws. It was incredible to watch. He ended with 1.05 EPA per drop back, which is the sixth most in a single game in the next-gen stats era, and he did that in his first playoff start. Meanwhile, on the other side of the ball, Dak Prescott had the worst performance that he's had since the last time he started a playoff game. He threw two first-half interceptions, including a 62-yard pick-six by Darnell Savage. Uh, His final numbers don't look bad via some stat padding and garbage time, but the Packers led the game 48-16 to before Dak threw two of his three touchdowns. And this this feels like the end of the Mike McCarthy era. Dallas hasn't made it out of the divisional round since the mid-'90s, and once again, McCarthy's team came up short. And it felt like all season, everybody knew the Cowboys were going to be judged by if they went to an NFC title game and they didn't even get close. No, this is the most embarrassing Cowboys loss of our lifetime. I mean, there's no way around it. You lost by a billion points. It's a seven and a half point favorite. You're the first team to lose to a seventh seed. And I'm glad we got to enjoy it for like 28 hours. This, this game, flashing ahead to coaching carousel stuff, did I think this game might have cost Dan Quinn the Seahawks head coaching job? You think so? By the it way, they just announced that they're interviewing Ben Johnson um, there you go. Like minutes ago. So they're adding to the list. Um, but yeah, Dan Quinn, I mean, he's being, you know, he's being interviewed by six teams for their head coaching vacancy. I mean, anytime you can hire the guy who blew a 28 to 3 lead in the Super Bowl and also just gave up 48 points to the seventh seed and, and had the first team. And by the way, he's got a little bit of talent on that defense. You know, a little number 11 is pretty good. 
Um, you know, they've got a couple good players on that Dallas defense. No, I'm joking. I, I think Dan Quinn's so overrated. I, I've always thought he was overrated. This Dallas defense was a fraud all year. You saw it so many different times. Miami only put up 22 points, but they moved the ball up and down on them. San Francisco dog walked them. In the first game against the Eagles, we didn't have a whole lot of trouble scoring points on that Dallas defense. I, I just think that this Dallas defense was always fraudulent. But, man, you get into these big games, and a guy who I think we are largely pretty fair about, I think on this podcast we are pretty – positive about Dak Prescott but it's it's utterly confusing to see some of the decisions he makes when it comes to January and you say January because we know he doesn't get to February um this is you know this that that pick six he threw is just I mean that is backup quarterback in the preseason stuff that is just everyone watching the game saw that develop before it happened. And and it was one of those pick sixes where you knew it was a pick six before you even caught the ball, Mm -hmm. which is is just always rare. So, I mean, just a like it was performance. It was starting in two high safeties and spinning it to cover one or spinning it to single high with Darnell Savage coming down into the flat or coming down into a hook zone. And Dak just looked at him the whole time and threw a slant right to him. And yeah, you mentioned – like I've been a, I've been a Dak defender uh, on Twitter to a degree. I ranked him ninth on our QB rankings before the season. You ranked him eighth. I had a whole thread last year talking about how his interceptions, you know, in 2022 were fun to make fun of, but in reality, it was more bad luck than anything, and that he shouldn't change that play style and it would bounce back. And like, but man, he just falls apart anytime there's any pressure in a big game and. The Cowboys got to have a conversation too because his contract's about up, and there was stuff coming out about him making sixty million a year. And man, I don't know what you do if you're Dallas because at this point you have to feel cursed. Like it has to feel like you'll never make it out of wild card or divisional round again. And you got the quarterback, and you've got it. Like I don't know, you got to change the coach. You might have to change the quarterback too. Yeah, I mean, it's a crazy conversation. He's very good. By the way, I think my official like hope, my hope among – I mean, we want Dak out of Dallas because he, he kills us. I mean, Dak does very well against the Eagles. He always has. doesn't matter who the D.C. is. But I think it – I think I might rather Dak go elsewhere and win a Super Bowl more than I want the Eagles to win a Super Bowl. <laughs> Not really, but it, it would be incredible to see like – See Dallas, it's all you. Like Dak to Miami. Yeah. Oh, they would win the Super Bowl next year. I, I I firmly believe that. Like, and I'm a Tua guy, but I, I, you know, Dak was bad in this game, and of course he like padded it with garbage time stat padding. But taking all that out of account, he's played some good playoff games in the past. He does just have some of these some of these total mind farts, um, and that's that's what kind of I don't think he's incapable. Uh, of uh, you know having a good game in the playoffs but yeah i mean mine mine farts are plenty when it comes to the playoffs it does seem yeah it's it's wild well let's keep it moving here uh let's go to the only close game in the divisional or in the super wild card weekend super blowout weekend uh was the rams at the lions and the lions win 24 23 
It's been 32 years since the Lions won a playoff game, but that streak is no more. Uh, they beat the Rams with the quarterback, the Rams cast off a few seasons ago. And uh, the Lions offense was on fire early in this game. They only put up three points in the second half, but it was enough. Uh, Matthew Stafford was excellent in this game. There was just excellent QB play all around. Stafford made some incredible throws. He battled through a hand injury. Uh, he ultimately fell just short due to settling for field goals. And I'll get to that in a minute, but uh, Puka Nakua set the rookie record for receiving yards in a playoff game at 181 and scored a touchdown as the Rams outgained Detroit by nearly a hundred yards, but they couldn't put the ball in the end zone. And the difference between Sean McVay and Dan Campbell couldn't be more clear when it comes to game management in this game. Uh, people are talking about the end of game. I, I want to go back to the end of the first half with 59 seconds left in the first half and all three timeouts, Sean McVay chose to take it to half. Despite the fact that Matthew Stafford in his three first half possessions, led a 69 yard field goal drive, a 72 yard touchdown drive and a 75 yard touchdown drive. And he took the ball out of his hands and went to half in the second half. He burned two timeouts to avoid delay of games. And it's well established and documented. That's almost always a bad decision. It's made worse by the fact one of them was on a third and 11 and they ended up punting. The other was on a third and eight where they did convert, but it's still not worth it. Um, and then you get to a third and 14 down one with four minutes and 15 seconds left at the Detroit 44. And they tried to throw for a first down and they didn't get it. And then they punted instead of kicking a field goal. Now it would have been a 60 yard field goal and you don't have a great kicker, but what does it matter? You've only got one timeout. You essentially have to give up a stop, giving up no more than one first down anyways. And furthermore, on third and 14, why are you trying to throw for the first down? Throw to get five to seven yards and set up an easier field goal or a realistic fourth down, go for it. It was just horribly mismanaged. Uh, coming out of the two-minute warning, you have Dan Campbell. He calls a pass for Jared Goff to put the game away. It's just a stark contrast in that game management. McVay also should have called his timeout at 2.30 uh, after that first Lions play and not let it run to half or run to the two-minute warning. Just chronically mismanaged. There is no bigger coward in the NFL when it comes to in-game management than Sean McVay, and he's cost his team postseason success before doing this, and he did it again. Uh that's not to underscore how good Jared Goff was either. Jared Goff was 21 of 21 when not under pressure. That's the second most non-pressured passes without an incompletion since 2018. And Goff and Stafford had the second and third highest passer ratings in the playoffs in NFL history when playing their former team. So nice little revenge bowl, epic game. Uh, obviously my favorite game of the weekend to watch in terms of competitiveness Uh I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. Yeah, it was a great game. So for a little background on the radio show that I do every Saturday, I absolutely nailed wild card weekend leading up to the Rams game. Um, I nailed the Texans, had the Texans um, outright, nailed the Packers, had the Packers outright. Um, I bet the Chiefs, I wasn't that confident in that game just because of the weather was so weird, but I didn't. I, I was 4-0, had the Chiefs, had Tyreek Hill touchdown. I was 4-0 going to this game. I had Rams plus three and a half as a game of the year. So that's my a huge, huge thing for me that I'd probably do way too often. But Rams were a game of the year for me. 
So I thank Sean McVay for his cowardice <laughs> and kicking that field goal to lose by one instead of four at the end of the game. Not the end of the game, but I, I forget how much time was left. You just you ran down all the conservative things Sean McVay did. Honestly, when Sean McVay took the field goal to go from 24-20 to 24-23, I was shocked. That's, that's not getting enough play because everyone's going to talk about the timeouts. It's, you know how crazy taking a timeout in the second half makes me. Never, they should, no one should ever take a timeout for any reason in the second half until there's five minutes left in the fourth quarter. It should be disallowed. If I was an owner, I'd fire my coach immediately if they did it. It would be the, we'd hang it on every, everything in the locker room would be no, no timeouts until the five minute mark. Honestly, I'm fine doing it in the first half too. You need those timeouts. It completely changes the game you sacrifice five yards with 10 minutes left in the third quarter to have a chance to win the game at the end of the game to have a chance to avoid finality with two minutes left and that's what happened to the rams here it was a pathetic job by sean McVay, and it's crazy it's crazy that i don't think i guess i have to at some point give up the dan campbell fight that i've been fighting i think he's a better coach than i think he is in my brain and I think Sean McVay is probably not as good of a coach as he is in my brain. I still think Sean McVay is probably a – not probably. I think he's a better football coach than Dan Campbell. But Dan Campbell is so aggressive, and Sean McVay is so conservative, and it went well for Dan Campbell. Everything went wrong for Sean McVay. The conservative nature really screwed him in this game. The aggressive nature won Dan Campbell this game. And it's crazy to say that, you know, Dan Campbell won the Lions this game. Sean McVay lost the Rams this game. It's not something I would have ever imagined saying two years ago or even a year ago, even at the beginning of this year. It's really beyond crazy to think about. I will say, not to be the refs guy, I do think the Rams were screwed, like, routinely in this game, like, almost every quarter. And this isn't, like, butthurt Mark complaining. I hit my bet. I'm happy. (laughs) But I, I feel like... It was honestly insane that Puka Nakua didn't put on the on the big throw. I think it was third down. I don't think it was fourth down. I'm pretty sure it was third down um, on that last drive for the Rams. Puka that Nakua, third and fourteen. Yes, third and fourteen. Yes, Puka Nakua had holding the entire route on the way to the on the way to the the catch, pass interference at the catch point, and then a late hit after the catch, and they called none of it. That's, I mean, that is a massive, massive game-changing decision. And Lions fans, the opposite of Ravens fans, not very nice, by the way. I'll say that. Everyone's, everyone's celebrating Lions fans. I, I, I feel a little differently. I'm, I, I'm. They're still like yelling that they were right about Jameer Gibbs and Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell like doesn't play. Uh, whatever. I, I, I can't stand the Lions fans. I'm sick of it. I hope they get their doors blown off when they play San Francisco in a couple weeks. Um, but. You know, you have to you have to feel good if you're a Lions fan. I, I will give them I'll throw them a bone. Yeah. <clears throat> I was gonna I was gonna look up, let's see, Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell, the number one hundred and forty-five rated linebacker this season per PFF. First round pick. Yeah. And Jameer Gibbs is great. We'll see if he's gets a second contract. Yeah. I mean, that's like the that's the, the problem. Like Jameer Gibbs, if he if Jameer Gibbs is gonna justify that pick. He either has to be have a way longer shelf life than most running backs do in the NFL, or he has to be so elite these next couple of years. And he's been really good. 
but people acting like he's justified like a top 15 pick at this point or top 12 was it 12th i mean yeah that's whatever i like jameer gibbs but that's it's crazy he was i don't know the, how this turned into that but. he was the 28th rated running back by the way this season per pff i think that's probably unfair I probably think he, i think he was better than that but i i yeah yeah he's it, it, people they're going a little they're going a little overboard um yeah I, the I, I lost my track a little bit, but what I will say about that, that Lions fans were upset. Anyone was bringing up that pass interference. They were getting in the mentions of like everyone who ever brought it up. And it's like, Hey man, my team lost the Super Bowl last year on 20% of the holding that that guy did like, and that's just, I'm never going to give that up and no one cared. No one cried for us. So I do think it's like worth bringing up. I probably wouldn't have thrown a flag on that one personally. What? I think that's crazy. I think there was three. I think there was three flags. <laughs> yeah, I probably wouldn't have, but I don't know. I'd have to go watch it again. I remember like watching it live. I was like, eh, I'd have to go watch it again. I The worst part of it was the late hit to me. I thought that was like worse than 80% of the calls that have been called for a late hit. Um, pass interference holding. Like, I think there were, I think there was that, but not, not to an egregious extent, you know, more than we've missed we've seen plenty of missed PIs in my opinion. So that's that the more focus for me was the lead hit. Yeah. The, there was, <clears throat> I will say, I, I do remember the one, there was a fourth and I don't remember what it was for when the lions lined up to go for it. And they, uh, I can't remember who the edge rusher was that jumped into the neutral zone and then Taylor Decker moved and they called a false start instead of a neutral yeah. zone infraction. And then the lions had to punt. That was that's a huge swing. So I mean, that's, I, I, that's the one that sticks out to me. I I would have to go rewatch that one. I just remember thinking at the time, and I wasn't tuned into it as closely as I am to some other games. You know, hanging on everything, looking up all the replays. But my initial thought was I would probably let it go. I'll I, watch it and I'll report back to you. I, I I need a report back. I I I felt like it, and I felt like Twitter mostly thought it was crazy too. I don't, I didn't think I was alone in that, but that wasn't the only call. I, I felt like it was more the, like the whole fourth quarter. Like I felt like it was a fine ref game until the fourth quarter, and I felt like there were multiple things that kind of went against the Rams in that stretch. But oh well, I, Sean McVay lost in the game more than the refs did. Yeah. Okay. If you try to Google anything about Lions penalties, everything's just about the Lions Cowboys game. By the way, so yeah. well, they got. They complained their way, you know, I had, you had to hear about Lions fans complaining for three weeks about it. So that you get your home playoff game. Enjoy it. Yep. All right. Let's roll on to the Monday games. Uh, we'll start with Pittsburgh at Buffalo. Uh, we, we have to, we can cover this one quickly. I did not. <laughs> <clears throat> so I'm still in the process of moving. Uh, I got home like an hour after kickoff and it was already 21 zero. And I was like, Oh, well, okay. So I did, this is the game I watched the least. I did throw on the condensed version. Uh, the bills opened with a 10 play 80 yard scoring drive. Uh, they got a takeaway and then a one play touchdown drive to make it 14 to zero. They pushed it out to 21 zero and then they just coasted. I mean, they didn't put it away and it sort of maybe could have kind of got interesting, uh, they should have blown it wide open, but the game was never in real jeopardy. I think the big thing out of this game is, well, two things. One is that injuries continue to mount for the Bills. Linebacker Terrell Bernard, 
Uh, and then defensive backs, Christian Benford and Taron Johnson all left this game with injury. Now they're going to have to try to get ready on a short week because remember, this game was pushed back from Sunday to Monday, so they've got one less day uh, to host the Chiefs. And then the other notable thing of this game was Mike Tomlin walking away from the podium <laughs> when he was asked about having one year left on his contract. So uh, interesting decisions potentially coming from the Steelers as we head into this offseason. Yeah, I don't think that means anything. I, I think Tomlin will be back. Maybe I'm wrong, but um, I, I think Tomlin's probably like, are you guys kidding me? Like, I just gave Buffalo a game without TJ Watt and, and dragged this team with Mason wins. Rudolph. Yeah, and people are talking about my my job. I think the Tomlin like outcry that has finally like reached a fever pitch here this year um, from some national media types and some uh, Pittsburgh fans. I, I don't. I think it's coming from a place of bad faith. That's an entirely different conversation. But um, I, I I think that the Tomlin negativity is insane. What he's done and people are like, he hasn't won a playoff game since 2016. Look at his quarterback play in that stretch. He's not the GM. He makes the playoffs every year. I mean, it's all you can ask for when you don't have a top half of the league roster. Um, what he does is incredibly impressive. They have a lot of young pieces in Pittsburgh. If they can figure out quarterback, I think they will get right back into the mix of competing for in a real way, but not until they figure out quarterback. So that's the fig- that to me, that's the entire offseason. Can you get Kirk Cousins? Can you get Baker? Probably not. He's probably staying in Tampa. Can you get Gardner Minshew like is that worth it I I don't know what you do but you have to do something at quarterback if there's a way for the Steelers to go all in and get Kirk Cousins it feels like by the way that's going to be my answer for every team it's just go can you get Kirk Cousins can you sign Kirk Cousins Um, it it feels like Pittsburgh would be one of the better spots for Kirk Cousins to land and be in a pretty good spot right away yeah by the way I just pulled up the the play and I watched it here and yeah, I wouldn't have, I, I, I wouldn't have thrown a flag oh, there. You would have for the late hit. I wouldn't call that a late hit. Like he's coming oh. to collision. He's coming to hit the guy as he's catching the ball. Maybe you could maybe get that. It's a receiver and he hits him in the head and neck area. Yeah. Uh, it's a defenseless receiver. That's yeah, the, yeah. You could, you could, you could probably throw that flag on a, I don't know. Um, I'm watching it again here. I mean, but he hits him with his arm. He hits him with his shoulder. I don't think that matters. I don't think that matters, though, does it? So uh, the holding, like, it's definitely holding. I probably wouldn't have seen it. He does a pretty good job of, like, being close and staying on his back. Oh, I'm watching it again. How is that not a late hit? I'm getting more mad about it now. The holding's holding, but whatever. That happens on a ton of plays and it doesn't get called. I think it's passing interference because he's – He's draped around them as he's going up for the ball. Yeah, I wouldn't call either of those, but you might you might get you might get the flag on the hit to the head or neck area of a receiver. He's he's restricting his left arm going up for the ball. Like I I think that's absolutely like the definition of pass interference. Yeah. I mean it is. I probably wouldn't have thrown the flag though. All right, all right. But you're you're probably right on the hit. It's not that it's late to me, because you don't you're coming at the guy and thinking he caught the ball but you probably do get him on the hit to the head or neck area, the defenseless receiver rule. But anyways, do we have to talk about this next game? Uh, Briefly, but (laughs) uh, the Eagles embarrassed themselves for like the seventh time in the last two months. They lose 32 to nine to the Buccaneers, Uh, a Buccaneers team who struggled 
and in fact did not put up 10 points on the Carolina Panthers, the worst team in the NFL, uh, racked up 426 yards of offense. Uh, and, and they held the Eagles to 0 of 11 on third and fourth downs. They blitzed, blitzed, and blitzed some more, and the Eagles just ran verticals, verticals, and more verticals. Um, Tampa Bay had 219 yards after the catch, 79 yards after the catch over expectation because tackling was horrific. The Eagles had like a 27% missed tackle rate. Uh, the game could have even been worse if Kay Dotton and Mike Evans could catch the football. Baker Mayfield had negative 17% completion percentage over expectation at halftime. Uh, meanwhile, Jalen Hurts faced 10 unblocked pressures on 39 dropbacks. 37% of the time the Buccaneers blitzed, they pressured Hurts with an unblocked defender. I, I don't know what you're supposed to do against that, um, especially when every route you run breaks over 10 yards. Uh, but... Baker Mayfield became the first Tampa Bay quarterback to ever have 300 plus yards and three plus touchdowns in a playoff game, which is kind of a wild stat considering Tom Brady won a Super Bowl in Tampa Bay. Yeah, I don't even know where to start. The team quit. I mean, that's just, it's that simple. They quit. They didn't want to tackle. Um, there was an embarrassing play. Um, I don't want to see Eli Ricks on this team next year. I don't. I can't believe that's like the first name that I said out loud. But I, I don't want to see Eli Ricks on this team next year. There was a play where Baker, on third and five or third and four, ran for a first down. Eli Ricks was dancing to hide behind the receiver. It was one of the weirder things I've ever seen. I don't think I've ever really seen anything like that on a football field. Like you see people get out of the way. I don't think I've ever seen someone like dance behind a guy to make it look like they're being blocked. It was. It was emblematic of everything that this team has been down the stretch. So is James Bradbury getting roasted every single play that he was on the field, failing to tackle every single time he was asked to. I mean, at, hey, Shane, at least it's not like there was anything over the last two months that would have shown that he shouldn't have been out there. I mean, at least this was a total surprise and new in this game, and this was only a one-week thing, right? I, it's ridiculous. The, the secondary problems, I think Howie Roseman has done mostly a great job. I think he's a great GM. I think he's a top five GM in football. But he does not value the defensive back, the secondary you know, area of the field at all. And I know people will be like, oh, well, they signed Darius Slay. And oh, well, they signed James Bradbury. Oh, they signed this, they signed this guy. They traded for this guy in the past. That's fine and all. Either he doesn't value the position enough to draft young guys in the first and second round, or he thinks he's getting – he doesn't I, – I don't know what the, the strategy is. They haven't drafted a defensive back in the first two rounds since 2017. They haven't drafted a first – they haven't drafted a defensive back in the first round since 2002. That's why we look so slow in the secondary. The secondary is also – if you play Madden out there, you do a franchise, you're in the offseason, you're in free agency, go through position by position. Tell me what the youngest position is. It's cornerback because cornerbacks lose it at like age 32. It's a young man's game. And I get that that might be part of the reason why you don't want to invest high level picks and top five picks in corners. But why are we investing high level money in 30 year olds then? Because that's what we're doing time and time again. And everyone as a, as a whole fan base, 
we're all taking this tact where we're saying linebacker is important and we need to care about linebacker and they need to draft a linebacker, Jeremiah Trotter Jr. And I love Jeremiah Trotter Jr. I want a linebacker. I think they messed up with TJ Edwards, all of that. But we're only focusing on that when I do think the secondary is the bigger problem. Secondary corner safety right now is more important than it's ever been in the NFL. And we value it less than anyone else in the NFL does when it comes to a draft pick perspective. And to me, we could talk about Jalen Hurts. We could talk about Brian Johnson. We could talk about the offense. We could talk about everything. That's the, that's the backbone of the whole problem that happened down the stretch here. It's the defensive line that you poured every possible resource into was not good enough to cover up the fact you haven't poured a single resource into anything else on that defense for years now. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Uh, there's, there's problems abounding all over for the Eagles. And on the flip side, the Buccaneers are in an interesting place because they had Baker Mayfield on a, what it's like a $4 million deal this year. Yeah. And you're in a place where again, you don't have a quarterback that you can go get. So are you going to extend Baker? Yeah. Your offensive coordinator is going to get head coach interviews. If he leaves is Baker going to work. And then you've got Baker in like his seventh coordinator in the last six years or something like that. You've got the Mike Evans contract looming. Like it's like they've, They've got an ecosystem that allows Baker to work and play well. Baker played well this year for the most part, but it feels like it could all fracture at any point because if Canales leaves, if Mike Evans leaves, all of a sudden, where does that leave Baker? And so it would make me a little hesitant to commit to him long term. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see what the Buccaneers do this offseason. I'm really fascinated by the approach they take. Yeah, I think they're going to keep him. Um, I think they're going to lock him up. They're going to try to give him a Geno Smith, Daniel Jones deal that they're only really committed to a short amount of time, but they give him a lot of money. Um, that would be my guess. And it's kind of the same that you mentioned Dave Canales. It's kind of the same situation Seattle was in last year. Dave Canales left Geno and he was fine this year, but he wasn't as good. Um, so if he leaves Baker, maybe it's the same kind of situation there in Tampa where you regret doing that. Mike Evans, they should pay Mike Evans because he's like one of the best players in the history of their franchise. That's like a whole separate thing. Like they should not let Mike Evans go, but um, the Baker thing. Yeah. I think you probably have to keep him. You have to keep him on a band-aid deal. Um, and then I mean, one last thing on the Eagles, the Jalen hurts conversations that are being had, I, I think are just absurd. Like everything relating to all the problems we had this year, all the problems with play calling the refusal to pick up blitzes, the refusal um, to adjust anything offensively, kind of the guys who were in and out of the lineup, no AJ in the playoffs, Goddard missed some games, Dickerson, Lane, and and uh, Jurgens all missed time on the offensive line. Um, I thought Mylotta took a step back. All those things, he was probably still the sixth or seventh best quarterback this year. Um, so, yeah, I, I think anyone who's, like, throwing Jalen out, Joe DeCamera, WIP host, I know you're not probably as plugged in on, like, the sports radio blowhards, Shane, um, in Philadelphia, but Joe DeCamera said there's no way he'll be the quarterback in 2026, which just feels like an insanely stupid conversation to have on January 16th, 2024. Um, but I think Carson Wentz has poisoned some brains um, in how we think about quarterback play in this city. Um, but I, you, I, you saw the entire football media like come out to defend Jalen Hurts and say what Nick was doing to him was unconscionable. 
Yeah, uh, all I need you to see is on a third and two, the Buccaneers bring a blitz and the Eagles run four verticals with not one route over the middle of the field. And tell me what Hurts is supposed to do. Now, like taking a safety when the ball was snapped from the 14-yard line is horrific, terrible play by Jalen Hurts. And at that moment, the game was totally over. The defense quit, game over. There's responsibility that Jalen Hurts bears for some of this, I'm sure. We can have the Jalen Hurts conversation. We have to do it after you put a competent NFL staff in the room and let them coach him. So get rid of everyone. Get an actual coaching staff. And then next year, I'm happy to have that conversation if it's not better. I I think that Hurts has some bad tendencies. I think he has weaknesses as a quarterback, as every quarterback does. I think the coaching is a travesty. Like, there's I literally don't I literally don't know what the Eagles do in an offensive film room throughout the week. I have no clue because they sat there against the Giants and went empty and the Giants blitz six to get a free runner and the Eagles had no answer. And then two weeks later, they played the Giants and they kept going empty and the Giants blitzed to get a free runner and they had no answer. And against the Buccaneers, every third down, they went empty. Guess what the Buccaneers did? They sent six. They had a free runner. The Eagles had no answers. Like, I I literally, there's not enough words for the incompetence that this coaching staff displayed down the stretch. I am not a fire everybody guy. Nick Sirianni cannot be the head coach for this football team next season. He just can't. Uh, We had a comment here on Twitter a little bit ago from RBJ92 asked, when do you think we'll get final word on Sirianni? Uh, I have no idea. I'm sure they'll meet with him. They'll take their time. Uh, They're probably not in a big rush because a lot of the guys you'd probably want to meet with are still in the playoffs. So it makes it hard to get interviews, but uh, I'm not positive that they will get rid of Sirianni. I'm positive that they should. I don't think they're going to fire him. Um, I think they should. I think last week on the pod, I said they probably should, but if they decide that they want to bring in an offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator, or if they decide that they want to make him call plays, then I would understand that. Now, I don't think that's going to be easy to sell to the fan base um, after what just happened. So I think you probably have to make a move. Um, and that's a shame because I, you know, he's the winningest coach in our franchise's history after three years of making the playoffs, we went to the Super Bowl. None of that feels like it matters right now. And, uh, you know, does he deserve to get fired? Maybe not. But I think when it comes down to it, there's too much talent on this team to waste a year on hoping a guy can figure it out. Yeah. And maybe he shouldn't be fired, but I think – the team quit on him and that's the final straw of what I needed to see. Yeah. All right. Well, that does it for our recap. Uh, Mark, let's talk a little bit of coaching carousel briefly, and then we'll spin it into a quick divisional preview and we'll get out of here. So yeah, uh, I know you're, I'm a little into the coaching carousel. You're way into the coaching carousel. Why don't you give me some of the top names that you think guys should teams should be looking at uh, this off? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely can. I think it'd be fun if we went through this a little bit. Um, and, and there's seven oh, there's seven vacancies. The Commanders, the Falcons, the Seahawks, the Chargers, 
the Raiders, the Titans, and the Panthers. I think it'd be fun if we went back and forth and kind of just drafted names. And you only, I mean, that that I'll take the first, third, fifth, and seventh pick. That way you only need to draft three names. And I'll lead off. And you can draft that in the in order of like what you think the best job available is. And I have a controversial take, Shane. I think the best job available in this entire cycle is in our nation's capital. I think it's the Washington Commanders. You have the second pick. You're pretty much guaranteed Drake Mayer, Caleb Williams. Um, I think there's some building blocks on that team. Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, Brian Robinson, not a bad running back. You drafted Cosme. You have a couple pieces on the O-line. Um, there are things about that team to like. There are still players on that team, even on the defensive line, even after trading a lot of guys. They still have some talent. And you're also, it's a new ownership. You are Josh Harris's guy. And we've seen in Philadelphia with the 76ers that Josh Harris has been hesitant to fire people um, at times when maybe they deserve it. I think Josh Harris is loyal to his guys. You, if you were going to come in there, he, I mean, they didn't fire Rivera for years even. I know that wasn't Harris, but I, I think if you go in there, you are going to get a long, long leash with the commanders. And I'm going to go with the best guy on the market. And it's the Lions offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson. That seems like that might be where we're trending to. Um, I guess he has some connections to Adam Peters, who they just hired as their GM. So people are saying it's looking like Ben Johnson to Washington. I think that's a slam dunk hire for Washington. I also think that's a great landing spot for Ben Johnson. You get to kind of come in and mold your offense with a quarterback who hasn't had a system in the NFL. Your system is their first system. So you kind of mold them in your image. And I think Drake May is kind of one of those quarterbacks that you kind of can like mold to be what you want him to be and to, to the system that you want him to do. Cause he is so versatile. Um, so I, I love kind of, that would be a great move for the commanders and I hope it doesn't happen. Yeah. I, I actually fully agree that that's the most desirable job. Uh, I think that's the one that you would want uh, for the reasons you laid out new ownership, uh, mild competency would feel like huge success and you get Drake may, to go and do it here probably um i would say is atlanta the next best job yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a bad division you've got cap space you've got weapons you just need the quarterback piece and so i think that i think atlanta is probably the next best job and if i'm looking at i mean obviously you're gonna have to figure out quarterback and you can draft one at eight but you're not gonna get up to the top two guys which makes it a little tough uh Justin Fields is my guy. Like I want Justin Fields there. Uh, and I think Todd Munkin would be a great fit to pair with Justin Fields in Atlanta. So uh, if I, if I, if we're drafting this out, I'd say Todd Munkin in Atlanta. Yeah, no, I think that's a great hire for sure right there. Um, so then I'm going to take it to what I think the next best job is. And I'm going to go to Hollywood and I'm going to look at the LA chargers. I'm not going to hire Jim Harbaugh. I know that's who everyone wants. That's not who I'd go with. I think you need an offensive mastermind who's going to come in and work with Herbert and hopefully turn him into what NFL Twitter has said he already has been for three years. Um, but I think that's Texans offensive coordinator Bobby Slowick. Um, I, I think Bobby Slowick is one of the best. I had Johnson first, Munkin third on my list. Bobby Slowick second. And that goes for the Eagles, by the way, as well, if they do open up the job. Ben Johnson's my number one candidate. Bobby Slowick's number two. Todd Munkin's number three. And those are my top three kind of by far. 
Um, the, it, it, I would be really happy with one of those three names um, for the Eagles. Yeah, the, I think you're. I feel like you're out of the easy hires now. Uh, yeah. I think I think I would say that the next best job opening is uh, probably Seattle. Um, yeah, Seattle's got a lot of young pieces. The quarterback thing is a little bit in flux, but Seattle's a stable environment. Uh, Pete Carroll's built good infrastructure there. Um, they've got some long-term cap flexibility. They're tight against the cap right now, but um, I feel like, I mean, is this what we would do? This is what we would do, right? Yeah. I, I just realized that I should have I, I like the I like a little connection that I should have done. I should have taken it over the charger. I didn't see it until now. Ah, I think I mean, if we're doing what I would do, I want an offensive guy. So I'm going to issue you guys that are going to be up there as candidates that are going to get jobs like Ejiro Evero, Lou Anarumo, uh, uh, shoot, Belichick, Mike, Mike McDonald, Belichick uh, and Eric Bieniemy needs a shot calling or he needs a shot as a head coach i I think that he needs a shot and so you put him in seattle with gino and and you try to figure out the offense there bring in some dc that you like there's some names i like like denard wilson uh but bring in eric Bieniemy to seattle uh and that's my pairing i'd put there so i i like that a lot Bieniemy needs a job i haven't even really seen him in the interview cycle this time it's just it's a shame um, whatever the NFL has against him. Um, I, I like that pairing. I'm going to, I'm going to take the guy I should have put in Seattle. If Seattle wants to recapture the Geno Smith, uh, the Geno Smith 2022 season, they should bring Dave Canales back um, from Tampa Bay. I'm going to put Dave Canales in Las Vegas. Oh. Um, you, you could go, you could go with some fun, Belichick to Vegas, Vrabel to Vegas, maybe Harbaugh feels like they might go big game hunting for one of those guys. But I think Dave Canales has done a really good job two years in a row um, in Seattle and in Tampa Bay Uh, Raiders. You don't have your quarterback yet. You're going to have to figure that out. Uh, But I think Dave Canales has kind of shown that he can work with middle tier guys. Maybe even if he wanted to bring in like a stopgap quarterback for a year, I think he'd probably, you know, turn, Gardner Minshew into like the 14th best quarterback. That's what he does. Like he, he takes a guy who people think is like a fringe quarterback and he gets above average quarterback play out of them. Maybe you draft a guy and he can finally kind of work with one of those guys. But uh, I do think Dave Canales is a guy. I don't expect him to get hired just because now Belichick, Vrabel, Harbaugh, all being in the system. feels like Ben Johnson's a lock. feels like Slowick's a lock. feels like at least one of the Ravens coordinators get hired. Um, so it feels like, they're running out of jobs a little bit. I don't think Canales will get one, but he's a guy who I think should get one. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to take the Raiders and I was going to leave Antonio Pierce there. Uh, Okay. Yeah. It's the Max Crosby thing makes it a tough situation. He he, looks like he wants to, he's going to demand a trade if you don't, if you don't sign Pierce, but man, that's tough. Yeah. So I don't think it's the right, I don't think keeping Pierce is the right move. And I know it's like probably the correct move, like ethically, and he did a great job, but just like realistically, it's probably not long-term uh, a blueprint for success. Yeah. All right. I guess I'll say Tennessee is the next best job just because the, the Panthers are in a bad place of having probably picked the wrong quarterback and it's going to cost him for the next several years. So I'll say Tennessee and, you know, Tennessee's, 
by no means a great place to land. Maybe you can develop Will Levis, you know, whatever. <sighs> can I hire Mike Vrabel back? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. But I'm assuming that's off the table. So uh, I'll go with Mike McDonald. I, I'm I'm an offensive head coach guy. I just don't think Tennessee is, and I'm out of I'm out of offensive head coach names. I like maybe Shane Waldron, but Seattle took a step back this year. So uh, I'll say Mike McDonald uh, gets out of Baltimore and gets a chance to be a head coach. Hmm. All right. So that leaves me with the Panthers here. And if I'm the Panthers, do I, this is a tough one because this is such a terrible situation. And you know, my first instinct is bringing an offensive guy. Um, you know, Frank Smith is out there. Dolphins OC. That's not a bad option. Brian Callahan. He's getting interviewed by a lot of teams. Bengals OC. He's actually the longest tenured offensive coordinator in the NFL at five years. I don't know if you saw that tweet today. I There's didn't. no other offensive coordinator has held a job for longer than three years. That's he's crazy. the long. He's the longest tenured at five years. Crazy turnover um, at offensive coordinator. Which, by the way, is when we talk about these things. That's why me and Shane always emphasize hiring an offensive play caller as a head coach because you don't keep these guys for long if they can call plays. It's just that simple. Um, but the Panthers, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take Bill Belichick. I, I can't believe I'm doing it, but I I'm going to take Bill Belichick and put him in Carolina. Apparently there is interest in, in Belichick. Tell him, hey, just figure out the defense. We'll hire McDaniels. Maybe he can work with the offense. Um, and, and I know Josh McDaniels is we, – we laugh at it. I still think he is probably a good offensive coordinator. Like he's the best guy Bill ever had at that at least. Um, he kind of like – you know, he, he made Mac Jones look competent for a year, um, which now looks incredible. Um, mm -hmm. So – and by the way, what do you think the Raiders' record was when they fired Josh McDaniels this year? What was the record? Yeah. Weren't they like – wasn't it like – two and six or something they were four and five. Oh, okay it was better than i thought Isn't, that's kind of like it's kind of weird it's not what you think like when you think about the raiders it's like oh they totally turned it around they were four and five with mcdaniels and five and four with pierce i think josh mcdaniels might just be such a legendary a-hole that any like i think his like incompetence gets even like over exaggerated sometimes yeah that's certainly just so bad He's so bad interpersonally. Honestly, I think that would be a good pairing for Carolina. I I think Carolina fans should probably be excited about that. But if you're Belichick, you you want to go to Atlanta. Yeah. Or or I guess yeah, I guess that's the, to finish this out cuz I I think this is more interesting than previewing any of the games to be honest. I you know how I feel about this. But Belichick, if you're Belichick and you get offered the Falcons job, the Cowboys job and the Eagles job. You don't have any say in the front office in any of them. You're making the same money at all places. You have control over your staff at all places. Where do you pick? Between Dallas, Philadelphia, and what was the Atlanta. other one? Atlanta. I almost, I think I Philadelphia. Almost, you think so? I don't think it's, I don't think it's Dallas. Yeah. And I know that I don't think it's Dallas. I actually think it's Atlanta. Like, I, I feel like they've got the easiest path to the postseason for sure. Yeah. I, but they I, don't just, have the quarterback. The other two places have the quarterback. They don't have the quarterback, but they do have the eighth pick. And like you said, like, I think you could get fields if you want them. 
Yeah. So like you, you can get Jaden Daniels, you can get Justin Fields. Like there's options. <laughs> like you're not in a in a quarterback purgatory. And I'm you know we're doing the BGN mock draft tonight. I have the Falcons. They don't have a ton of needs. Like you're you're it's a short list. You look at the roster and like some of the PFF grades. It's a good roster. So I actually think that's the job Belichick should look at. I think it's the second best job available, even if the Eagles and Cowboys come available right behind the commanders. I know that's a little bit of a hot take. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that is our coaching carousel talk. We're going to spin it forward now and briefly preview these upcoming games. Let's start. We'll just go in order here, Mark. Um, So we'll start with Houston at Baltimore. Uh, Now, Baltimore led the league in sacks this year. They won six of their last seven games with that lone loss coming in week 18 with backups playing. Uh, they have the highest point differential since week 11 in the NFL. They've been firing on all cylinders. Their defense finished sixth in EPA per play among all teams for the last decade. Their defense gives them a chance in any game that they play. And I haven't even mentioned the likely MVP winner yet in Lamar Jackson. <clears throat> I really thought that Mark Andrews injury could potentially derail their season, but they won five in a row without him. And now he comes back. Then on the flip side, you've got Houston CJ Stroud's playing at such an elite level right now. He just took apart the vaunted Browns defense. Now I do think down the stretch, the Baltimore defense has been better. The Baltimore offense has certainly been better. I think it's an uphill battle for the Texans. I wouldn't count them out. Uh, I think the what is it nine and a half points is disrespectful, but I do think Baltimore wins this game. I love the nine and a half points, and you're gonna. I mean, I I don't love the week this week from a gambling standpoint, and that's how I look at these things, obviously. But um, you know, the two games on Sunday, I don't like. I don't really like either one of from a gambling standpoint. But these two games on Saturday, starting with this one, I think it's impossible to not love the underdog here. It's impossible to not think that the Texans are going to keep this close. They played earlier in the year. They lost 23 to nine. It was a, a weird game. The Ravens let them hang around and the Ravens have blown some teams out this year, but they've also let a lot of teams hang around for a really long time. And each of their losses were because they let a team hang around just a little bit too long. And they even got lucky with one of their wins. They won an OT game against Baltimore. Um, on a punt return. I think they want another OT game as well. I don't think Baltimore is this rolling, you know, ball of chainsaws, this dominant team in route to a Super Bowl that everyone else thinks they are. Um, I understand the other line later in this day a little bit more. I'm shocked to see that this is nine and nine and a half. I, I thought this would be more like seven. Um, so in my opinion, you're getting like a full two, two and a half points extra um, on the line. I think if you have a quarterback who's playing the way C.J. Stroud and Jordan Love are playing football right now, you have a chance to win any football game you play. Um, and I think the Houston Texans, it feels like they're – I understand, like, you look at the lines last week, it's like, oh, well, the Texans were a three-point dog at home to Cleveland, and, oh, Green Bay was a seven-and-a-half-point dog in Dallas. So you look at San Fran, Baltimore, they're better than those teams. You do the calculus, and, yeah, they're bigger underdogs. But shouldn't it factor in – that they won those games by 30 plus points. Like it shouldn't it matter that it was, they won an absolute blowout. It's not like these are two wildcard teams that won by the skin of their teeth and made it to the next round. And will they, you know, was that their super bowl? No, they blew these teams out. Shouldn't there be a little bit of a readjusting 
as to what these teams are. And I know that like DVOA is about the full season, but I think that performance we saw from Houston last week was incredible on both sides of the ball. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So let's go to our next game here. Uh, it is Green Bay at San Francisco. The seven seed travels to the one seed. And again, I mentioned this stat earlier, but since week 12, Jordan Love ranks second in the league in EPA and third in success rate. Uh, Brock Purdy ranks first and second in those categories, by the way. So battle of the two best quarterbacks in the league. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're playing. These offenses are operating at such a high level. The key matchup in this game is going to be the San Fran rushing attack versus Green Bay's rushing defense. Uh, San Francisco leads the NFL in 10-plus yard runs this season, while the Packers rank 29th in rushing yards allowed after contact, and they're 23rd in yards per carry allowed. We know how devastating this San Francisco rushing attack can be. And the 49ers have an absurd group of playmakers in Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, George Kittle. As much fun as the Packers offense has been, trusting the 49ers offense is just infinitely easier. Now, I think Jordan loves a better playmaker than Brock Purdy, but the 49ers are coming off of a bye. They're going to be fully healthy. Uh, the Packers' road to victory in this game is that they need Jordan Love to have another standout game. They need their young playmakers to continue to step up. I mean, crazier things have happened. If you can get a lead on this 49ers team, we've seen them struggle playing from behind. There's a lot of talent on the Packers defense, but they generally haven't put it together. Now, they did last week. The path is narrow. I could see a pathway for Green Bay to win this game. I do think it'll be a good game, uh, but I think the 49ers take this one. Yeah, I feel the same way about this game as I did going into last week um, uh, about the, the game against Dallas, take the over and take green Bay with the points. Um, I feel extremely confident that green Bay's offense will be able to move the ball against San Francisco's defense. That's not the problem. The problem is can the defense get stops? I think Joe Barry uh, is a bad defensive coordinator. This is not a good defense at all, but having said that, they were up 27 to nothing on Dallas, who was absolutely one of the best offenses in football. And that was one of the more impressive halves of football you'll see defensively with how Green Bay played against Dallas in that game. Maybe they've figured something out. You look at the last three weeks, 10 points to Minnesota, nine points to Chicago, and then, you know, obviously 32 to Dallas, but really it was like 16 until there was five minutes left in the fourth. Uh, so I, I think maybe you you hope a little bit that Green Bay's defense can just hold them to 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 28 to 30, and maybe that way you can outscore them. You can get to 31, you can get to 35, whatever you need. But I think you're going to need at least you know 28 points to win this game if you're Green Bay. Maybe probably 31 plus. Um, I, I think San Fran probably pulls it out. But I do think this is probably their toughest. I think this this will be tougher for San, for San Fran than next week will be. Because I think Jordan Love is playing at a higher level than Jared Goff is. And I think Jordan Love is playing at a much higher level than Baker, obviously. I think this is a much tougher game from San Francisco than people think. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So, Okay, let's get into the Sunday games. Uh, we've got Tampa at Detroit. Uh, the Lions had an emotional win to break their nine-game postseason losing streak. Win for the first time since 1991. Now they have a chance to win back-to-back postseason games for the first time since 1957, and they get by far the worst team left in the playoffs to do it against. 
Uh, Aiden Hutchinson is hot right now. He's got three games in a row with multiple sacks. He had a 33% pass rush win rate in the wild card round, and he will have a favorable matchup against Luke Godecki. Uh, that could make a big difference for the Lions, whose weakness is their defense. Uh, Tampa, I think they've got a decent passing attack. They've got some really good weapons, and that matches up well with the weakness of the Lions' defense. It's better against the run than the pass if they can keep Baker Mayfield clean. I'm just not sure they're going to be able to do that. Uh, the Bucks also like to blitz, and Goff isn't as good against the blitz as he is when he's not blitzed. That said, other than just like total emotional letdown, which I don't know how that could happen to you at home if you're Detroit, I just don't see much of a pathway for Tampa in this game. I think Detroit, uh, Detroit should win this game. I think it'll be the worst game of the weekend. Yeah, I might boycott this game. I mean, I, I think if you're if you're like a football fan who you know maybe you got a significant other, you got you got a, a child that maybe wants to spend time with you. I, I don't know why why they would you know football football, but if you want to take a break this weekend, I think it's three o'clock on Sunday. I think you go out and you make it back for the main event of the entire weekend with Kansas city Buffalo. But if you are going to bet the game, I don't, I don't like anything besides Mike Evans touchdown. I'm already seeing it at plus plus one thirty. Um, he he's been a great value all, all year. Didn't get the job done. I'm against the Eagles mainly because he dropped one right through his hands. But um, yeah, I, I, Mike Evans touchdowns become an auto bet for me. I lean Detroit. If I was going to take a side, I would take Detroit minus six and a half. Um, Goff did play really well last week. And mainly Tampa being up 16 to nine against the Eagles with the way that the Eagles were playing that late in the game. I think Tampa's, I think Tampa's terrible. Like, I, I don't think Tampa's good at all. That game did not make me think, oh, Tampa's good. It made me think, oh, the Eagles are way worse than I could have ever imagined. Maybe the worst team in the NFL right now. So, yeah, I, I think Detroit probably blows them out. It's just hard to rely on them to to win by more than a possession because every game that they play seems to come down to the wire. Yeah. All right, let's go to the last game. This is the game everybody's going to be talking about on Sunday Night Football. Chiefs at Bills. It will be the first road playoff game for Patrick Mahomes in his career. Uh, now Mahomes is 38 and 11 on the road in his career, and that's the most wins by any quarterback in their first 50 starts in NFL history. So maybe that doesn't even matter. Uh, Rasheed Rice has emerged as a reliable option for Mahomes through the air. As I said, he had 130 yards against the Dolphins. The Chiefs defense is legit, though. They rank fourth in EPA per season. Steve Spagnuolo has done a tremendous job with that young defense. On the Bills' side, it's the double-edged sword of Josh Allen. He's generated double the EPA of any other quarterback on runs this season. There is not a throw that he can't make, but there are throws he shouldn't make, and sometimes he has trouble telling the difference between those. Uh, we have seen Allen push too hard before and lose games for the Bills. He can get in his own head, and we've seen it. And the last time these teams met in the playoffs, it was the infamous 13 second game. And so you wonder if that'll be in his head. If Josh Allen plays calm, I love the bills in this game. I have a hard time trusting Josh Allen fully in some of those situations. So uh, I think this is going to be a great game. I think I would lean to the bills, uh, but I, I just think it's going to, it's a toss up to me, to be honest. It, it, it's tough to trust Josh Allen, like you said, but you know, it's not trust a tough job. That was bad. 
it's not trust to tough Josh Allen. You know what's not tough to trust Josh Allen to do, Shane? What's that? Score a rushing touchdown. Josh Allen, anytime touchdown, is the new Jalen Hurts, anytime touchdown. Uh, 16 rushing touchdowns this year in 18 games. Six of the last seven games, 10 of the last 12 games, and 13 of the last 16 games, Josh Allen has scored a touchdown in. Um, And you can find it this week at minus 110. Um, So I I think that's an incredible, incredible value. That's my best bet of the entire weekend by far. Um, But taking aside from that, um, for the non-degenerates out there just going to watch the football game, the Bills and the Chiefs is the best game of the year. I I mean, you can't ask for much more than Patrick Mahomes for the first time in his career traveling on the road to play a road playoff game, and it's against his, his rival, his arch nemesis, Josh Allen. And he's gotten the best of Josh Allen a lot. Josh Allen got the best of him earlier this year. Can he do it again? Uh, that's going to be the the interesting thing here. I have futures on the Bills to win the ASC, to win the Super Bowl. I'm going to be staying away from this from a gambling standpoint. I'll be rooting for Buffalo, and part of me feels like, you know, if storylines matter, if there if there's you know if there's any football karma out there for the 13 seconds or you know it feels like now would be the time for Buffalo to win finally and to get over the hump to beat Patrick Mahomes and, and to finally kind of slay the demon at their own place. They finally get him in Buffalo, but how Buffalo would it be then? I guess it kind of goes against what I was saying to, to get over the hump, beat Kansas city. And then you, you, then you lose to Baltimore and you don't actually accomplish anything. That would be very bills. I feel like Uh, there's only two ways this game can go. Either, either it goes to overtime and the Chiefs get the ball oh. first, and they just score a touchdown to end the game. And so we do the Josh Allen didn't get the ball thing again. Or we go back to, like, the Bills-Eagles game. Goes to overtime, Bills get the ball first, they settle for a field goal, and then Mahomes walks it off anyways. Like, I feel like heartbreak and overtime is what the football gods are going to give us in this one. Wait, but now in the in the playoffs, they can't. They, you get a chance if they score a touchdown, right? Am I wrong? I think it's it's only on a field goal, isn't it? No, yeah, no, no. It's the, that, this was the change. Uh, the change was for just the postseason. Um, a touchdown cannot. Uh, the first touchdown does not end the game. Okay, you have a chance to match it. I, I thought so. That okay, was okay. what that was what so, those fans uh, lobbied to, to get. So the Bills get the ball first in overtime, yeah. score a touchdown. <laughs> the Chiefs score a touchdown and go for two and win. Oh my God! You put that in the universe. That's not me, Bills fans. Andy Re- Andy Reid would never. Nah, he wouldn't. No chance. No chance. So, all right, uh, that's going to about do it. Uh, thank you guys for joining us for this episode, episode number one thirty eight of Chalk Talk. If you enjoy the show, be sure you smash that subscribe button, turn on notifications. This show goes out on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Uh, wherever you're following it, hit that subscribe button. Uh, Mark and I will be live throughout the playoffs, giving you recaps and previews. When you get into the offs, there's going to start being draft content in the feed as well. Uh, so this podcast won't go anywhere during the off season. We'll be in your feed each and every week. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Shane half NFL. Mark is on Twitter at Mark Henry jr. And we will catch you guys next time.